Hi, my name is Lydia. And I'm Emma. And we're the hosts of Holy Ship. We are passionate about creating a space for women to talk about sexuality, their bodies, and all things relationships. We think that for so long, Christian spheres have often failed to address these topics with women in a healthy, shame-free, and open way. So welcome to Holy Ship, where we address all the taboo topics in a way that is honoring to you, your relationships, and God. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Holy Ship Podcast. In today's episode, we are recording with Haley from Not a Flower in Power. Today, she will be discussing her story with us and how she deconstructed her views on sex. Um, A little bit about our guest today. After marrying at 19, Haley struggled with anxiety around intimacy and pain with intercourse due to skewed views of sex brought on by being born to teen parents and being raised in purity culture. While continuing to work in ministry and maintaining a love for the church, Haley has been a been on a journey of physical healing as well as deconstruction of harmful beliefs. She now runs the account Not a Flower in Power and is an advocate for change in the church around sexual health. So without further ado, um, we just wanted to say welcome and get started with a great conversation with Haley here. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. Thanks, guys. Ah, thanks for joining us and being willing to share your story on here. We love your Instagram and the community that you've built on there. So yeah, we're just so honored that you're here with us. Oh my goodness, I'm honored to be here too. This is my first podcast. So (laughs) I love it. We love being the first. Right, Lydia? We've actually had a lot of people on our podcast that this is the first one they've ever been on. And hopefully the first of many, you know, you're just going to start your podcast career off today. (laughs) I know. I was like anxious. I know for no reason, but it was like an excited anxious. Um, Yeah. I'm so excited. (laughs) We like to think we're pretty low key. So, yeah. (laughs) Pretty casual. We're just going to have a little conversation. We might go on many rabbit trails, but that's okay. Um, That's life. (laughs) Yeah. So to start, um, would you just share your story with us tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey um and then we can start asking each other some questions yeah absolutely man my story is long so i will try to give like the spark notes version but um like you kind of read in my bio um i was born to teen parents and um, grew up in purity culture and by grow up i mean i started going to church probably around middle school um so right in the height of purity culture. And so um, both of those combined um, really skewed my view on sex. So being born to teen parents, um, the conversation around sex was always, don't be like me, like, don't be like your mom, don't, you know, the best way to not get pregnant is to not have sex. And so even before I was a believer, I was being sent this message that like, sex is not safe or sex can be harmful to me or you know just sex is bad was the overall message I received even before I went to church um which is surprising for some for some people um and then yeah like I said um I started going to church with friends in middle school and hit right at the time of purity culture so um several of my most vivid memories from church and just my newness in my walk with faith was conversations around sex and how 
you know, we needed to protect the protect the males around us. We need to cover up. We need to be careful. We need to be the gatekeeper. So many messages around sex that were just reinforcing this belief for me that sex is bad and sex is dangerous. Um, and so fast forward, um, my husband and I were dating in college. We both went to Bible college. And again, it was just reinforcing this belief um, really that even not just sex is bad, but anything associated with sex. PDA, kissing, holding his hand and walking across campus, I felt like people were just staring at me because I was doing something bad. And that was not at all the case. I'm sure a lot of that was brought on by myself. Um, but again, just this belief cycle. Um, and then I get married at 19. I'm the first of my friends to get married. Um, so again, we're all at Bible college. Nobody's really talking about like, hey, this is how sex works, or this is how it all happens. Like, nobody was really talking about it. So I felt like I had no one to go to. Um, I married into being a pastor's wife at 19, which was whew, a lot. <laughs> um, so as I started to struggle and have pain with intercourse and eventually even into, like anxiety around intimacy, I felt like I had no one to talk to. Um, and it was really probably one of the loneliest stages of my life when it should have been the happiest um, and the most fun and the most exciting and like let's explore and let's figure this out but instead it was you know shame and something's wrong with me and I'm alone and so I struggled in that in silence for about three years um, and it led all the way to me having full-on anxiety attacks um, me not wanting anything to do, even with just touch, like, but I don't even want to cuddle. I don't want to hold your hands. I have no desire to do any of that. Um, because in my mind, it was reinforcing this belief system that sex is bad and sex is painful. And now even my own experience with sex is reinforcing this belief. And so I'm like, this has to be true. This, this is all there is for me, or this is normal. And the amount of women that think, pain is normal, it's heartbreaking to me, um, which led me to start Not A Flower and to just share my journey with healing, which included going to public PT um, for eight months, going to um, counseling for a year and a half, um, and just doing a lot of hard communication and a hard look at what do I believe. So hopefully that was this, the spark notes version but yeah so I started Not a Flower because I don't want anyone to feel that way ever mm -hmm. it was it was so hard and so lonely and so kind of my tagline or my favorite hashtag is alone is a lie because man if I can share my story with even one person and and hopefully they realize like I'm not alone or I can get resources out there that I don't have to be in pain or I can enjoy sex like it is a gift from God like man then that makes it all worth it yeah that's awesome um I guess I'm curious how did the process of not a flower and power start from you going from like you felt like you couldn't talk to anyone to now I mean you're just publicly sharing that yeah even that in itself was healing and for me I think that was the last straw of healing because I was like um, I went to pelvic PT and I was almost shocked by how matter of a fact we, if that's a word, <laughs> um, my pelvic floor physical therapist would just talk about sex like 
no emotion behind it, no shame, just like the facts. And um, that just blew my mind um, because I came in there and anytime she said even like vagina, I'm like, well, like <laughs> just makes me like squirmy or anxious or uncomfortable. And so, I mean, that was a piece of healing and then going to counseling and um, being able to talk to my husband about even saying those words out loud to him. It's like, oh, like, you know, that was a piece of healing. And then um, gradually my friends are getting married. And then I have become the friend that shares openly with everybody or like, hey, you're getting married. Um, instead of, you know, buying you some kitchen appliances, I'm going to buy you like sex ed books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I feel like gradually it has um has started small with you know my most intimate relationships and gotten to the point where I'm like man the Lord wants me to use this and even that in itself has been a piece of healing where I am like it was almost the last piece of shame to go Mm -hmm. if that makes sense so yeah Ah, that's so awesome and I love that you are using that experience and that I think it like really shows that like God does use everything, even like the bad things. And now he's using you to touch so many girls' lives. And like, yeah, I'm just like so honored that you're here and that we can hear that. And just, you're like doing such a great job. So I just want to commend you for that. Oh, thank you. And yeah, and so why I love, um, I say I'm an advocate for change in the church is I think so much of it is preventable. Mm-hmm. So at some sometimes like um, I was diagnosed with vaginismus um, which is highly common um, in people with religious upbringings. Um, and so I think if the church can talk about these things, sometimes vaginismus just happens or it happens due to um, other assaults or other circumstances, but um, oftentimes it's around this belief system that we have. And so if we can talk about it, um, I'm believing and praying and, yeah. and hoping for change in the church so that other women don't have to. So mm-hmm. absolutely. On that, um, on that note, what was your like church upbringing um, surrounding this topic? Like, and what do you think it should be like going forward since you're, you are in the line of ministry? Like, do you think that it's important for the church to have some form of, sexual education or do you think it should be rather um implicit about how like um just talking about the goodness of it instead of um uh i i guess having any sort of like shame undertones like what do you think the church's role is in all of this and how were you brought up yeah so i was brought up in my younger years through elementary even, I would just attend church with friends. And so my mom's own story, she had me at 15. Um, She was going to a Baptist church at the time that um, she, I don't know the full story. And I would love, you know, to sit down and talk with her one day. But um, either she felt so shameful in that atmosphere that she stopped going, or she was actually asked to stop going. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But um, so we had this belief growing up of like, God is real. And my mom had this belief, you're, you're fine to go to church. I just don't want to go to church. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we didn't really talk about spiritual things, but I feel like I always had this belief around God. Um, So I, I always went to church with friends. And so I would go to um, 
a Catholic church with my grandma on my dad's side, or I would go to, you know, a Baptist church with a friend, or I would go, so I feel like I had so many different um, faith influences um, growing up, and I have really appreciated that now, because I feel like I can relate to so many people, and I love being able to see faith in all of those forms, um, and to honor those things, but I feel like my main um, teaching around sex and marriage and all of that came in those middle school years and so um I man one of my most vivid memories is from like a purity night where we had girls in one room guys in another room um and my youth pastor's wife was on stage and she um did this whole the whole um like purity culture what it's known for like the Mm -hmm. crumpled up flower which is where I get my name from not a flower Mm -hmm. um and how if you have sex before marriage then you're this used piece of object she actually used a heart so she crumpled up this piece of paper for um maybe you step too close close to the line crumples it up maybe you Mm -hmm. cross the line rips it in half um and so yeah and she's actually sharing her own story which I um, looking back, I appreciate that vulnerability, but, um, man, the shame in her voice, of she said, I, I walked really close to the line and I never crossed the line, but there's definitely things I wish I would not have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I remember that pain in her voice and the shame in that. And then immediately following, she said, if you don't even kiss the boy until you're married, that would be very honorable. Mm-hmm. And that would, you know, prevent you from doing what I did and walking too close to the line. And so me, a middle school girl, knew my faith, wanting to do what the Lord, mm-hmm. like, has said to stay pure um, and abstinent and save that for marriage. I was like, man, that's what I'm going to do. And so I feel like that led to me shutting off so much desire and shutting off curiosity around sex. Um, to where she had good intentions and I love mm-hmm. her and I, you know, I'm glad that she, I can acknowledge now that she was trying to do the right thing in mm-hmm. her own way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like that just caused so much uh, damage for me. And so my hope for the church or in going forward is that we can create that space um, where things do feel safe. Um, to have those conversations and I think the church if we're going to talk about divorce and how that is not in God's heart then we should prepare marriage mm-hmm. and part of that is talking about sex and mm-hmm. preparing couples well um, mm-hmm. and yeah because I think like I and it hurts my heart to think about but if I had not sought out resources for healing which just happened to happen outside of the church then I don't think my husband and I would have made it which mm-hmm. is so sad to think about but um so I'm I'm like if if sex is created by God then the church should be talking about it and not just in a shame way but in a way that's going to set marriage up for success mm-hmm. so that's my that's my thought I think um we do that in an ongoing way um like not just one night a year where we talk about purity mm-hmm. but um because that doesn't communicate this is a safe place that mm-hmm. communicates I have checked this off the list. I feel like I shouldn't mm-hmm. talk about it. I don't want my kids in my youth group to, you know, be experimenting and crossing the line or like I'm doing my duties, you know, that and to somebody attending in the youth group, like that doesn't communicate. I can come to you with questions. Yeah. And so that is really, I think the basis for it, no matter what 
relationship it's in, whether it's in church or whether it's in a parent-child relationship, it should be an ongoing conversation because that's what creates the comfortability Mm -hmm. around it to be able to talk about the hard things. Yeah, that's so good. I also love how you were talking about how, you know, if we're going to like talk about divorce and how it's like bad that we do have to prepare prepare people for marriage and like sex is part a huge part of that um and I've actually never like really like thought about that or made that connection so I'm really glad you said that because I think that honestly just makes it all the more important other than just like there's the whole shame aspect but we do have to like be preparing people for marriage and that's like a huge part of that yeah I also think it's really interesting how you know we've talked with a few people Lydia and Mm um and this is we've heard the the flower and like mm-hmm. the heart example come up a lot. And I just, yeah. I, I personally, thankfully, I did not experience that part of um, purity culture. But uh, the more and more we have these conversations, the more I realize, okay, this, this is a, this is happening mm-hmm. or it has happened and um, it's very uh, detrimental. So yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, Lydia, do you want to <laughs> yeah. say something to that? I guess um, my next question would be, how did you begin to deconstruct your thoughts on sex? Like, was it through, like, you know, your pelvic floor therapist where, like, she did talk about matter of fact and that was, like, changing? Or was there, like, work you did that also helped deconstruct? What was that process like? Yeah, really, I feel like it started a little bit in counseling. Um but it really, I think, took its height when I was started pelvic floor physical therapy. And again, my pelvic floor physical therapy was just so matter of fact about things like, are you doing this? Or, um, you know, I can't even think of an example, but um, just how normal it was to her and how, you know, there's no shame or there's no emotion behind it. And she was very compassionate and caring and like, you know, you share your most intimate parts of your body and your life with this person so I'm like my soul is tied to her like (laughs) I like had so much you know um such a connection with her it's not that she had no emotion she was not a robot behind it Mm -hmm. but just that um and that's really where I feel like I learned like man education is so powerful because to her she held this educational view of things um where it was so matter of fact and so for me, that was the start of deconstructing my beliefs it, it, because my beliefs were around what have I been told my whole mm-hmm. life versus now it's what, what am I learning for myself and what education is unlocking in my beliefs where I go, man, I don't think that's true. You know, that sex is bad. And I, I read my Bible for myself or I go to therapy and counseling and I start talking about well my my physical therapist literally told me I need to get a vibrator and I don't I don't know I feel like that's not okay but that's also not in the bible so what do I do with that and so um and for me the empower piece of not a flower empower is education and learning that for yourself and that's a major part of deconstruction is going back to those beliefs and just saying like is this what God has really asked or is this the interpretation or, you know, the modern day thing that has been put upon mm. this meeting or this scripture, what, how this is being taught versus what is 
God really telling me through this scripture for myself. So that, mm-hmm. yeah, what kind of started my journey and yeah, was led me here. So this may be kind of like implicit in what you just said, but did you find that you were deconstructing your faith along with these beliefs or like did you like struggle with whoops sorry I'm hitting my mic did you struggle with your faith like at all as you were doing that slash like did you have to rebuild like different things yeah that's a great question I feel like deconstruction happens on a spectrum and it's not something that we always um talk about because for me um even on my own account and the people that I follow, I sometimes have to take it in doses because mm-hmm. it can be on such a spectrum and there's such a spectrum of hurt. And I don't mm-hmm. want to negate anyone's experience with that or with church. Um, but for me, it's even sometimes I, on my own account, I have to take into doses or take a break and, and unpack because it can be so emotionally draining. Mm-hmm. Um, and there can be so much negativity and hurt in it. And so um, for me, though, I part of that is that I have never really fully deconstructed my my faith. Um, there have been pieces mostly around sex that I've had to pull apart and rebuild and um, just examine and sit with it and wrestle with it. And, and even that in itself, um, living in that gray area or or learning that it's OK to just not know, to just sit and be like, maybe I'll figure it out maybe, maybe I won't. Um, but that's okay. And learning that to be okay with that, even in itself is a major part of deconstruction or what it was for me. Um, I just really held to like, I have experienced God in my life and I don't discount that. And I hold on to that even more and to deconstruct and keep your faith. I think that is vital, um, to sit with scripture and to sort through you know, what hurt has been caused by someone else's teaching and what is really God. And I don't believe any of that has been brought on by God. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold him to be real and what he says is true um, and sort through the hard stuff of, you know, man, even I, like I said, I still love my youth pastor and her wife and his wife um, and what they did for me, but I can also, you know, in the same hand, love them, appreciate what they did for me, but realize that, man, some of the things that they taught or how they taught it was harmful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and to learn to live with both, it's both and, and it doesn't have to be an or, can be, a, you know, it's almost the first step and it's almost the hardest yeah. step um, of deconstruction and especially to deconstruct and keep your faith. So, Do you think you could give a specific example of this deconstruction process of like what you what you originally thought and then like what you had to kind of unlearn and then rebuild um do you mind giving like a specific example sure like i said a lot of mine has been deconstructing belief systems especially in purity culture so around sex um and so and and thinking back i think for a lot of us um nobody stood up on stage and said sex is bad it's it's the shame it's the nonverbal, the communal shame even that's brought on and like oh you you're sitting too close to a boy or oh you're wearing this um so that is a hard part in it too of like no one really explicitly said I mean in some cases maybe um but it's overall this nonverbal communication around sex 
um, and belief systems. And so for me, like I said, it started really early on, even before I was a believer, that sex is bad. Um, that was reinforced as I became a believer and started, um, you know, being taught and um, given the, the rules, if you will, of purity culture. And so again, sex is bad. I need to protect the opposite sex. And it's my full responsibility that I cannot, as a woman, have pleasure. I cannot, as a woman, have sexual desire, that I need to be on guard, all these things um, that, that go along with, you know, sex is bad, and especially as a woman in purity culture. And so, um, and then get married, my own experience, again, it's reinforcing this belief system. Sex is, is bad or... Um, God hasn't created women for pleasure. And so then I started this journey of healing. And for me, it was, I came to this point of, you know, I can't figure this out on my own. Um, and I need, I need help. And so I started going, going to counseling. And that's really where I sat in, um, in the safety of this relationship with my counselor of why, why do you think sex is bad? And, for her, she never said, like, well, sex is good, so why aren't you believing this, um, which I appreciate. She really taught me to sit in it, to think back on what has caused this, why do I believe this, and is that true? Um, so she taught me to sit in gray and to wrestle with it. And so um, we started going back to those things. Well, what that instance with my youth pastor's wife, what did that communicate to me, and what was she trying to say? Or what does the Bible really say? Or what is God really telling you? Um, well, God created sex. And looking at human anatomy, God intended women to have pleasure. If we look at the clitoris, its sole purpose is women's pleasure. And God created it. So, like, you know, going back to education and facts and what is true um, and what is God telling me is true. And being okay with, um, again, like I can learn as much as I can and I can try to bring in as much as I can. And in some instances, I'm not going to have all the answers. And I think Christians and even a lot of this harm in, you know, if we trace all this back to our, this hard belief systems that we have been given down, it's because we have tried to make black and white what God has intentionally left gray. And so... I think God, God is gracious enough to sit with us in the gray. I think he intentionally created gray. And I think there's good that comes out of the gray. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, that educational awesome. piece, sitting in that gray wrestling and coming out with, man, sex is good. And sometimes, and it took, it took me time. I don't want to, you know, underestimate or um, sugarcoat anything it took me a long while I was in counseling a year and a half and even probably up to a year after coming out of counseling did it you know I feel like I had physical emotional spiritual healing enough to say mm -hmm. sex is good because I can deconstruct this belief and if, if sex is still painful it's still reinforcing that belief that mm -hmm. sex is bad or sex hurts or you know so there can be a lot that goes into it as well and I don't want to sugarcoat that experience either it's not easy and it does take time but it's mm -hmm. possible <laughs> yeah um this is 
a little off, well, not totally off topic, but was your um, counselor a Christian? She sounds like it. Yes. And so this is one of my, like, favorite life hacks is um, we were in ministry, newly married. I was actually struggling to find a full-time job. I was working three jobs at the time, and we cannot afford to go to a regular counselor, like a fully licensed Mm -hmm. counseling center. Mm -hmm. Um, So we went to... Um, actually, Indiana Wesleyan, um, which is a, a Christian college, their counseling center. And so you can get free or discounted counseling um, through their graduate programs. So their graduate students are getting their practicum hours. They're not fully licensed. Um, but we had a great experience. And um, so, man, I'm like, that's my life hack. If you need counseling, you feel like you can't afford it try to find a university that offers that but that's my little side note my little (laughs) um Mm -hmm. life hack but yes so we went to a christian counseling center but she um asked us um starting out what's your comfortability with um faith and i said well i have a bible degree myself i feel like i know what the word says i know what i have been told you know my whole life um, and so I said, I'm okay with talking about God, but I don't want our full counseling to be Christian based, if that makes sense. I also mm-hmm. feel like I carried a lot of hurt in that. And so I was like, I, I want the facts. I want what only you can give me. And that's the psychological side of things. And that's the things I can't figure out on my own, which, like I said, led to a lot of faith talks, but it wasn't, this is what the Bible says. And this is what you should believe. It was what do you believe and why, um, if that makes sense. But yes, mm-hmm. she was a Christian. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And I think that's a testament to how, um, you know, kind of like what you said, like in church, they, sh- you know, the minister, preacher shouldn't like get up on stage and give a sex ed speech. But it's important to have mentors and outside um, resources and people who share your your faith um but at the same time can offer a little bit of a different perspective or just a space where you can be vulnerable and ask questions without like fear of um without fear of judgment or or um, embarrassment and so i think that's a really neat testament um to this topic but yeah and something you said in the middle i mean not related to what you're saying but spurred on a whole cool line of questions in my head um you were talking about how like kind of this messaging was telling you that like sex wasn't supposed to be pleasurable for you um and that like sexual desires were bad I'm curious like before you got married did you like experience sexual desires and then like feel shame around that or like what did that process look like even if you're like when you were dating your husband you know mm-hmm. Yeah, so my husband is four years older than me. And so um, we went to college together while we were dating. While we were engaged, he had his own apartment, um, which, again, it felt like in this Christian university was like, no, no, like you're yeah. not to be at your boyfriend's apartment, especially at nighttime, bad things are going to happen. Um <laughs> And so there is a lot of instances where I do feel like we're like making out on the couch or like hands are wandering and I was super felt on guard and I would just like like shut it down. Be like, Mm -hmm. nope, we're done. 
I'm leaving. I'm going back to campus because like, they're right. Bad things are going to happen. Um, and so I felt like even like, even in the height of the moment, I could never really fully enjoy it. And I could never almost allow myself to just, you know, be curious or to be fully in the moment. Um, so for me, it was like, man, just to think back on those times. And again, it's like, this should be a fun time, a fun experience, like, Mm -hmm. and to just look back on it and think I was never enjoying it. I was Mm -hmm. never in the moment and, um, and thinking, well, when I'm married, I will. And that is not the case at all. Marriage just heightened the problem, you know, um, just made it worse. And it led to um, me in in marriage pushing through pain and thinking I can just stuff this down because in the past I have just um, in the past I could make out with my boyfriend and not enjoy it. And it was fine. Mm -hmm. And at least he got something out of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But in that, in that place of intimacy and intercourse, like it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, um, And why it went on for so long for three years to think, um, that I don't have a place for pleasure mm-hmm. and that this isn't for me. This wasn't created for me. I need to just perform or I need to give my husband what he needs. Cause in purity culture, you're told like the boys, a boy's only desire is sex mm-hmm. and that's his biggest need. And you need to fulfill it. Cause you are the only one that can. Um, and if not, he's going to look somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really, I feel like led to why I was, almost stuck in that for three years Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like I actually experienced like having to fulfill his needs because he will look elsewhere but like that I was given that messaging like in church and at youth group but then I'm like obviously I'm not married um but like in my dating relationships I still felt that way so then when a guy was like wanting to go farther I felt like you had to in order for him to like not leave and go somewhere else to get it. And I feel like that even seeped down into like dating. But then I also felt like all this shame afterwards because I was like, this is wrong. Like, and then I like felt like I couldn't tell anyone at church in my youth group. And yeah, I feel like purity culture did a number, but you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, did you go through like a grieving process at all? When like, I like you were talking about how like you never really got to enjoy those moments and like it was supposed to be fun I'm just like curious did you have to like grieve that part and like not being able to do that or is that something that it's just like oh it happened and like doesn't really bother but yeah that's a good question I've never thought of it that way um I think this could I guess be a form of grieving I held a lot of resentment Mm -hmm. for a long time um against church against even my husband I'm like it's not his fault I could have said no um but to just man yeah I feel like I carried a lot of hurt and anger for a really long time yeah um and in that was uh, I guess a form of grieving mm-hmm. um and just recently probably you know maybe a year or so ago I feel like I was able to move past that into 
okay, this is fun again, and mm-hmm. we can explore, and there is no pressure here. I can, I feel comfortable saying no or not today. Um, but yeah, that's a great question. I feel like, yes, in a sense, mm-hmm. like I did have to grieve that and, um, but acknowledge now that just because I didn't have that in our dating relationship mm-hmm. doesn't mean, you know, I can't have that now in our marriage. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So good. Yeah. Um, so what do you think would be the best advice for younger women who um, are in the church thinking about dating, are dating, um, and then what would be your advice for um, girls that are about to get married or are married? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think my advice for girls who are dating would probably be um, if you study sexual agency at all, it's basically that women, you know, can choose what to do with their body. And I think if you want to honor the Lord and do that through abstinence, um, you know, I still believe in that, but that should be your choice. And so for girls who are dating, I think really sit down and examine um, your why, like, not just because I have been told this or I have been taught this, but I am educating myself. I know, like, you know, I think education starting in those dating years um, is vital because then you can make that educated choice of, okay, I know what sex is. I know what it's about. I know that, you know, what can come from sex. Mm -hmm. And because of that, not a fear-based decision, an educated-based decision, Mm -hmm you know, that in hand with, I do want to honor the Lord and the Lord has asked me to do this. That is what I'm basing my decision on. And so I think sitting down in those dating years and figuring out like for yourself, um, what you believe in, why is so important. Um, and it, and coming to that conclusion helps you if you do decide to stay abstinent, remain to that decision, because it's not, well, my mom said this, or church is going to shame me if I have sex. It's, I want to honor the Lord, and I have wrestled with this. And I am, this is what I and, and Jesus have decided on. Um, that one. And my advice being, um, having an honest conversation with your significant other. If you cannot have a conversation around sex with the person you're dating, then you should not be having sex with that mm-hmm. person. <laughs> so having clear boundaries where it is, both of your guys' responsibility um, to say, I have made this decision. I have wrestled with this. Um, Are you okay with this? And can you help me mutually? We're going to keep this together. It's not fully on the woman's responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, They call it to be the gatekeeper. Um, You know, it's your responsibility too. So that helps with that being in the moment. If I can trust Mm -hmm. this other person to keep, both of us accountable and safe and he is doing the same for me then there is that mutual um respect in that so i think that's my advice for dating and then similarly anyone who is looking towards marriage or is married um man looking back on my engagement years i wish i would have went to a real counselor like gone to counseling with my significant other as my premarital um 
because I think so many things could have been pre prevented or lessened if I had would have had unpacked it in that stage. Mm -hmm. um, so say you haven't um, fully educated yourself or wrestled in that in the dating years, it's not too late when you're engaged. It's not too late when you're married. Um, but I had brought up concerns in our premarital counseling with our pastor of like, I am afraid to have intercourse. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm literally afraid. And he's like, well, here's this book. Like, that's that. And there was like really no conversation around mm -hmm. it. It was very clearly uncomfortable. And so I was like, oh, okay. And so I feel like if, in that stage, I would have wrestled with it then. If we would have unpacked all those beliefs, um, maybe I wouldn't have had vaginismus or pain within the course. Maybe I would have. I don't know. But, mm -hmm. um, and I think seeing a counselor in that stage sets you up for marriage because there's such this um, stigma, if you will, or belief around um, asking for help in marriage and going to counseling means like, you're in this terrible place and that's not it at all. But I had that belief and it took me three years to go to counseling when, you know, so I've asked for help so much sooner. Like I would have prevented so much pain, but um, so I think in a mutual ground, going to counseling sets you up to be able to say, Hey, I think we should go back because it wasn't so bad the first time. And now that we are having issues, I know I can count on this resource. Um, and same for if you're married, like ask for help where you need it because it's so hard and we shouldn't have to figure it out alone. Um, again, going back to alone is a lie. And if we can talk about the hard things and get rid of so much of that, like shame or, um, man, you just like, you have to figure it out on your own. Good luck. <laughs> like we can help so many people. And so if you're in that stage of marriage, again, it's not too late. So. I love that. I think just as kind of a wrapping up like question way earlier in the episode, you talked about how like, or like giving, I'll say like resources at like engagement parties or whatever, instead of like, actually I don't even remember what you said for the other part or like kitchen appliances or something. So something like that. Um, do you have any resources you would recommend to our listeners that you're like, these are like, you have to like read this or watch this or... Come on, Lydia. Yes. Um, so for <laughs> any of my engaged friends now, no matter how awkward it is, literally we had a bridal shower at work. Again, I work for a church. So it is all church staff ladies. And I I did like give it to her on the side and I was like, I don't want to embarrass you. Like you might not want to open this in front of everybody. Just like maybe go open it, open it in the back corner afterwards or take it home like I'm not offended if you don't open it here. So they kind of warn her, but um, there's a, um, it's like a sex ed manual basically, but it's Christian based. It's called Celebration of Sex. It's like this big. Um, so I also tell anyone I give it to, basically anyone I know that's engaged, family members, coworkers, friends, anyone, um, I give it to them. It was a resource recommended when we were in counseling. And I say, like, you don't have to read this cover to cover, but it is great to just have on the shelf and to pull out and say, man, I wonder about this, or this isn't working, or, you know, there's even tips in there for vaginismus and if you're having issues. And it really walks through 
all stages of life from here's the mechanics of sex to your 70 and things aren't working how they used to. Um, so it's great for any stage of marriage. There's a, um, I forget who's by, again, I'm really bad with authors and I need to do better. So any of these resources, um, maybe I can shoot them to you. You can include them you know, in the bio or something. Um, so there's a big red one. And then there's also a newlywed version that is small and white. And so that's a lot more of like, wedding night stuff this is your first time or these are good conversations to have beforehand um my two favorite um resources for um one just women's health is come as you are oh so good so good yes oh my gosh i wish i would have read that like when i was like 18 Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe even before that yeah um just to understand my own body and then two is The Great Sex Rescue. It's for anyone kind of deconstructing purity culture. That book could have been written with my name on it. Like, oh, so good. So those are my three favorites. Perfect. Thank you for sharing those. And yeah, we, well, we, I don't know if Emma's read it yet because I may have hoarded the book for a while, but Come As You Are <laughs> is such a good book. I learned so much about myself that I did not know. And I thought I knew things about myself. And I was like, Oh, I have no idea how the female anatomy works whatsoever. <laughs> so yeah, definitely highly recommend that book. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll link all those like- resources in the bio too. <laughs> Perfect. I was talking to my husband. I'm like, you should read this with me. And he's like, um, I'm good. Can you just like give me some fast facts? I'm like, yeah. it's all so good. Like you just have to read it. I actually was thinking like as after I finished it, I was like, I kind of want my like fiance to read this before we get married and just yeah i'm sure there's a male equivalent of the book too somewhere but yeah so good or maybe not and maybe that's a part of the problem yeah can't that's just my opinion well i think on that topic um not to start a whole nother rabbit trail but why not i know i was like i just opened pandora's box there (laughs) um but educating so my husband's story is like he did not wait for marriage um and so I went into marriage thinking like man he already knows what he's doing he has it all figured out and I can just rely on him that's not the case at all just because he had sex as a teenager doesn't mean he was fully educated and so I have learned like oh I I also need to educate him as he needs to educate me on and communication on like what he likes what he doesn't like but when we didn't have that basis of I didn't even feel comfortable to even talk about sex let alone communicate what I like or don't like um that was really hard but I think that is so vital Mm -hmm. um to see one being able to talk about it but two the humility it takes to say like hey this is the clitoris and Mm -hmm. this is enjoyable when you do this or like hey this is a piece of my female anatomy you might not know about it um I think it takes humility on both both parts but it's also now we find like humor in it Mm -hmm. Um, but also to some extent I'm like it's sad how little we know about each other's anatomy like again going back to the education piece Mm -hmm. I think is so important like going into marriage it was like, man, I know basically nothing about male yeah. anatomy. <laughs> now I know a little bit of more, more about my anatomy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Oh. Do you feel like that added stress or anxiety to you, knowing that he 
had been active before? Do you feel like that was a part of the problem at all or yeah? Um, I don't know about, you know, fully part of the problem, but or I not did, problem, but yeah. In the like, minds. It, it did I mean make me spiral at times at nights, you know. And and thinking like is is he is looking or thinking or going somewhere else besides me, you know, it it was really hard to process through that and um I finally have had had to say like almost just very bluntly like do you think of this or do do you wish this and because like just speaking out loud and the reinforcement of him saying like no like I married you I love you um I'm willing to work through this with you um speaks volumes in that but like giving that thought power is so debilitating and I think did um almost reinforce that like shame in my own body of like I can't figure this out or I can't make this work um it it definitely I don't want to say added to the problem but it was definitely a pressure if that makes sense Mm. Yeah. I only ask because I feel like I relate to the, I mean, I'm not married, but um, even in my dating relationships, that's one of the, um, you know, besides just like purity culture through the grapevine of, you know, whatever Christian circles I'm around, but also just the added pressure of, um, you know, if someone's more experienced um, than I am, and that sort of like reaffirms that idea that you know, it's our job to give in and, and like pleasure and just like not even think about ourselves at all. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's why I ask because I relate with that greatly. Well, Haley, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. We hope everyone got something out of this week um, and just learning how to like deconstruct purity culture, what that looks like and hearing more about Haley's story um, and just the incredible journey that she's been on. So as always, if you have any questions, feel free to either DM us at theholyship.podcast or email us at theholyship.podcast at gmail.com. And as always, stay tuned on Instagram for polls we do or any questions that we're asking. Um, And yeah, just for more content. So yeah, we hope everyone has a great week.